and welcome to Critical Consideration, your seasonal source for all things awards. I am Vaughn, and with me this week is my good friend and fellow critic, Calvin. Calvin, you ready to talk about some movies again? I'm always ready. I'm always here for it. Anytime you call me when I'm just uh, uh, <laughs> off um, gallivanting the uh, Pacific Northwest uh, 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 film archives, so looking at the, the last year's cinema, I'm here to talk about it. Every time Calvin calls in from his frigid, uh, frigid ice lake when he's playing hockey in the wilderness, <laughs> yes, he, com- he comes in this. to talk about movies for a couple hours. It's great um, because we're so busy uh, this time of year. I think it's a great way to keep like uh, reminding ourselves what we're voting for, what we're looking at, and what we need to see. Yeah, it's been really fun to to be able to go through this stuff. It's a good way to kind of keep keep the right things at the top of my mind sometimes sometimes it's really easy to let stuff kind of slip away but to have like a constant update of of having to get these notes through and like actually look through my list it's nice to to have that um so yeah we're going to talk about a couple different things this week um not a whole lot in terms of categories but i think we'll make up for it in terms of little other extra things we've got to discuss alongside that um we're going to talk about screenplay and score this week but i think i've got a lot to talk about around music in general um but first before we get to those calvin what have you been watching this week uh what have i watched um i watched a small movie called tar i don't know if it will be a contender in any awards so (laughs) we don't need to discuss any further um what have I watched this week? It's it's a black hole of uh, content that uh, that that continue. I continue to fall down this black hole. Uh, <laughs> I've been prepping. I was part of like our uh, board for um, Pacific Northwest Films, an unnamed award so far. But uh, um, so I've I've gone through that whole list, and uh, uh, so most of my week's been devoted to just like uh, local films and uh, doing some meetings around that. Uh, deciding if uh steven soderbergh's our our most uh, prestigious local director or not yeah and i think we'll do some discussion around that award towards the end of this show i think once you guys have kind of gotten those little details down a little bit more i know you've been in meetings discussing some of those details so once that stuff's figured out we have a more definitive <laughs> understanding of what we're looking at it will be fun to discuss some of that pacific northwest stuff from this year I mean, whatever the meeting was will be longer than the show. I won't disclose any of what was discussed. Just that uh, if it's a Seattle film, then we discussed it. Um, and uh, I think it's such a great thing, though, to recognize the local talent, connect Seattle film critics for, to the community. But again, uh, we don't uh, exactly represent all their views. This is just us two as voting members. Yeah, Always important to clarify. Um, <laughs> so as a... What have you been watching I, my whole thing's just been Seattle films. I, I can't think of anything. Well, you did watch Tar. Was that... Yeah. Um, what do you think of Tar? I'll just ask real quick. I'm curious. It's fine. Um, Not a fan? No, it's it's, it's very <laughs> okay. good. Yeah. Kate uh, uh, Blanchett, just, it's so reliable in Todd Field's um, uh, very austere as a director. And, oh, yeah. And um, has such a sense for his material. I think a a good lead-in for the show about screenplay and sound was me watching tar just ahead of it i i very pointedly uh lined that one up yeah yeah great great movie i don't think um it really covers any of our previously discussed categories um but i think definitely some stuff we've still got upcoming it will be coming up more often 
Um, I've watched a few things this week. I think we both saw uh, Wakanda Forever, not necessarily notable awards-wise, I think, especially... Maybe in, uh, maybe in music, you could maybe make a make an argument in one of these categories today. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see it. Like, I think especially in the Oscars camp, it seems like kind of a, a film that would end up there again. But I think especially even compared to the first film, it's so much less distinctive to me. Yeah, um, same. So I don't think that it's it's I don't think it's going to land anywhere for me. I think it's okay. Um, it's I think above a lot of the other Marvel releases recently, um, except Thor. I like Thor more than that. But most of the Phase Four stuff has just been so nothing to me. And this is okay. It's it's fine, but <laughs> definitely nothing special. Definitely not getting into visual effects or anything like that. I wonder if I'm only a phase four optimist because I wasn't like there for the other phases. Like I, I started watching Marvel in the middle of the last phase. So I wonder if like <laughs> me being like so fresh to like the, the new conversation and like in the, in the kind of like the cut yeah, of what the totally conversation possible. is. I think that maybe that's why I'm not as exhausted. Um, Cause I felt exhausted watching all of them last phase. And now I have time between them, which is new for me. Cause I, I never had that weight. Right. I saw Iron Man, you know, maybe Iron Man 2 and then nothing <laughs> until the last phase. And then I was like, well, these are actually pretty good. I did see Winter Soldier in between all those. Uh, so my impression of Marvel was pretty good before I watched all of them. Right. <laughs> I, I thought everything was going to be Iron Man and Winter Soldier, and that's why everyone liked it, because they were like high-class action movies mixed with espionage. But no, just... <laughs> <laughs> and then you watched singular. all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I watched like Thor Dark World and I'm like, oh, I just kept right. you know, progressively slipping <laughs> into movie. this hole until I got to Captain Marvel and I was like, oh my god. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that much worse than the, the prior phases. I think the last one had such benefit of wrapping up a whole generation of storytelling. That I... Yeah, it's definitely interesting coming in with that perspective of like starting later and then now catching up because I think from the perspective of like I've been watching them pretty much the entire time um it's like you had such a clear build up to the way that those first three phases like built on things and then ended with mm -hmm. endgame and it was such a clear direction and there was always something that was feeding into other things that you knew were happening right um it was everything to me was very clear in those phases and now it's like so bloated and there's so many things going on that i never know what they're setting up i never know what is connected to what else and there's just too many things and so it's hard for me to be excited about any of it anymore because it just seems like they're constantly throwing things at the wall and for me none of it is sticking. Yeah, I think they're having trouble because the first time they set things up they didn't have to build on such like a um, climactic ending as they right. had last time. Like a, their first round of movies, uh, three for you know each trilogy as they often do were kind of like unrestrained like they were like we could go chase rocks in space because we don't have the stakes yet established. exactly like they're all leading to thanos and then um there's not quite any thanos yet like i i think once we get to x-men we'll begin to see like these kind of melded into like a a longer story i just think they're up against something different that they weren't the first round definitely so, uh, uh, for me also you know like losing <laughs> um their their cast like Chadwick Boseman yeah. tragically dying and then uh, uh Chris Hemsworth this week announcing they stepping aside like all the uh, those are probably you know my two favorite people in it so it's right. kind of like a um what do I have like what are my states yeah I definitely think that's a big part of it is 
you they lost so much of the i mean even just either through in real life or just in the course of the films you know like characters dying in the films like they lost a lot of those people that really connected me to the franchise and i don't know if i really care as much about the other people that they've been introducing i think especially because of the way they've been introducing them they're introducing interesting characters but they come in as like these tertiary things that barely matter in other movies and so mm-hmm. i don't have any like connection to them like they add in iron heart in this movie they did america chavez in multiverse of madness and it's like i want to like these characters but you're not giving me enough to enjoy about them there's nothing about them they're just kind of existing in someone else's movie i'm also marvel snap pilled right now that's all i do with like if i have any like two three free minutes it's entirely like my my dead time in my day is entirely marvel snap now so uh, I mostly know these characters from uh, uh, <laughs> trying to troll people with their cards in a, a collectible card game. That's worthwhile, I think. Why yeah, not? I, I'm having a blast with it. I think it's uh, the best Marvel product yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten into it. I think I'm trying to avoid p- probably com- probably becoming completely addicted to it, like it seems everyone else has become. So I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if I want to dive in. I probably will just end up playing it too much. I think you should anyway. I um I uh, I don't know. We, well, we need you to like do content too, and, and um, the rest of us are all playing Marvel Snap and you're writing <laughs> reviews. So it's kind of uh, I'm holding the site together playing, while Marvel yeah. Snap <laughs> takes everyone else apart. <laughs> if you start playing, then we'll have to all start going to screenings again. That'd be terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I didn't see Empire of Light. I was busy Marvel snapping. Um, no, 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 just a lot of things came up the last week. So uh, we have Fablemans ahead this week. You and I will see it in a yeah, super excited uh, today for uh, when this comes out. Uh, it'll be yeah, the day out. So um, I can't see Strange World because that's the same day at the exact same time. Yeah, um, such a bummer. Yeah, uh, sometimes they have secondary screenings that don't line up with the first screenings so of something else. Like if you miss right. a critic screening, you get into like the public screening, and then. And that's not always coordinated well, so um, uh, I'll catch that in theater with Ezra. So, uh, uh, did we already talk about animation? Um, uh, no, animation's still okay. upcoming. It's a, it'll be in a few episodes here, I think. Maybe next episode. Let me double check. I think it is next, like documentary uh, yes. animation. Okay. Yeah, next episode we'll be talking about animated features. So hopefully, I don't know when the actual release for Strange World is. If we'll be able to yeah. get that in. End of this month, I think. Probably not, but uh, that's okay. Um, my animation field is so strong that I, I feel very confident. Um, yeah, I think there's been quite a bit of good stuff this year. I need to dig through and really see what it has, um, what's been going on. But I think we've got some some great options. I mean, we've talked about Mad God a lot, but that's really high up there. Um, it'll be hard to beat. <laughs> <laughs> considering driving a silly distance tomorrow to see Pinocchio. So <laughs> maybe that'll be up there as well. That's exciting. Um, I'm really excited. for your, That's tomorrow? That's, uh, uh, potentially i i ended okay. up missing the the screening because it was in the okay. middle of a work day and i just couldn't get the time off of work realistically i was like yeah this is just isn't gonna work out it's hard um, yeah so and was I, it like in the middle of the day in bellevue anyway it was yeah it was hard to get to right so um that that might be viable in several categories uh one that we're doing today at least i think um yeah potentially i'm, I'm it's the thing is i'm like I really want to see it. I don't really want to drive a silly distance to see it, but it's not playing in many places. And if I don't see it in its short theatrical run, then it's not going to be out on Netflix until the end of December. And I'm like, I don't want to wait that long to see Guillermo del Toro's movie. 
And it has a Desplat score. Alexander Desplat is doing that oh, yeah. Pinocchio score. So okay. that's very viable Definitely. for today. But um, that could be very likely in a week where like, we have a correction to make. Uh, oh, absolutely. I th- <laughs> we'll get into it later. But there's another one that I'm like, this is almost certainly going to be a contender. But uh, we have not had the chance to see it yet. So we'll see. <laughs> Even um, Fablemans that we're seeing Dave release here, I think could probably fit into everything we've done so far. Um if it's good. You're probably right. Yeah, I don't know who's doing the um, the music for Fablemans. I should have probably looked that up. I'm curious. Um, mm. But continuing what I what else I've seen this past week, um, since we spent probably too much time on Marvel, which we're, I think we're just going to yeah. keep doing on accident. Um, we don't need to do it again. I think we're good on the Marvel tapes I think you're for right. the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that this is the end of Marvel for the year, so I think we can be, okay. can be good for, for Marvel content. Excellent. Um, I I watched a movie that I don't think really fits into any category, but I had a ton of fun with, which was Confess Fletch. I think you mentioned that briefly, maybe in one of our earlier yeah. episodes. I had so much fun with that movie. It's great. <laughs> it's really fun. John Hamm finally like has yeah. a role that really suits him. I mean, he's better than Chevy Chase, uh, more likable currently. So, uh, oh, certainly. <laughs> it's somehow a better comedy sequel from like a legacy comedy, which never happens. Like. You never get those old comedies that are revived and are actually funnier That's true. and more yeah. likable and charming. Maybe it's because this was like so much more of like a passion project than just like soullessly reviving a franchise for money. You know, like I think this was like they had no idea that they had no interest really in making a profit off of this, and they didn't think that they would, and they just wanted to make it because John Hamm really wanted to play Fletch, and he does a, <laughs> I mean, he does a great job. It's it's a ton of fun. And have you seen Greg Matola's like filmography? Like, I feel like nobody's like talking about him as a, a proper know. director of things, but he did Super Bad, Adventureland, uh, Paul. Um, oh yeah, with the Alien, <laughs> uh, Day Trippers, um, Clear History, the the Larry David movie. Um, but yeah, he. I mean, he, yeah, Super Bad. I think is enough to be like yeah, this guy is still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely think I didn't even really recognize the the director at the time, but I would definitely think that from the director of Superbad would be more of a sell for uh, for this movie. But it seems like it's kind of flown under the radar. I know it's really good. I I want people to go see it, and it won't fit into any category. I don't think. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't think so either. Like, I don't think male lead is weak enough for. I mean, like John Hamm's good, but I don't think it's a yeah I'm comedy not sure is I would, hard. I would put that. It is yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's such a fun movie. Like it, it really fills the kind of like what I want out of one of my favorite shows, which is Psych. It kind of gave me that same feeling of just like this light com- comedic mystery kind of thing. It was just a lot of fun. Um, I would like more things like that. And it's not like totally high concept either. Like it's that right. rare comedy that really gets it right. And I think like a when Long Shot came out, everyone was like. <laughs> um mourning the death of like the normal normative comedy that wasn't game night and wasn't uh uh ready or not or like a gamified uh yeah oh, i really did not like long shot i remember really really okay. disliking that movie um i think it's fine but i, I think confess fletch is much better um yeah a lot of fun i highly recommend confess fletch even if it doesn't quite fit into any categories here um other stuff i saw this week uh, went and saw the menu, which I think is fantastic, yeah. and that's out right now. Um, I think I just saw it like one night before the the wider release, but 
such a fun movie. I was totally surprised by it. I didn't really have any expectations because I felt like I didn't really know what the trailers were trying to sell me on. Okay. Um, it seemed interesting and it was kind of like, all right, this is going to be a movie. And it also like the release of it just seemed kind of weird. Um, mm. I saw like a random trailer and it felt like there was not really anyone talking about it. And then suddenly it kind of became uh, more popular this week as it's come out. But it's Still so much fun. Really... Totally. It's still really not in a conversation. Like, I've, I've heard critics talking about it, and I don't know if anyone else has seen it. Yeah, I do hope more people see it, because it is... What it is, is it? So, <laughs> it's. I mean, that's maybe the thing, is that it's, like, a hard one to sell. Mm-hmm. Because I think so much of it works because the your expectations are kind of something different than what it is. But that's not a good way to sell a movie, really. <laughs> um, it's, it's like a group of sort of like wealthy people go to the like the most exclusive most highly regarded restaurant um super expensive and it's on like a remote island where there's just this restaurant um where the chef is ray fines which is who is just fantastic that sounds Um, good yeah and yeah so like the main character is anya taylor joy who's also fantastic and she's brought by um her boyfriend uh, Nick, Nicholas Holt, who's, I mean, everyone in the movie is great. Um, and she's kind of like the one that's kind of not supposed to be there. And she's kind of trying to figure out what's going on with this weird restaurant. And then it just kind of gets crazier and crazier. Is it a horror uh, movie? Not really. I think that yeah. that's kind of the okay. thing is that I think the trailer kind of sells it like a horror movie. Like it's kind of like a most dangerous game kind of thing, but it's not really that at all. So I wouldn't go in with those expectations. <laughs> um, it seems so hard to define. Um, it is. Uh, would you prefer uh, the menu or Flux Gourmet, uh, which is your uh, culinary movie? Oh, I think movie. Flux Gourmet, um, but yeah. the menu is more of an actual food movie. <laughs> okay. Flux Gourmet is like such a weird like alternate reality food movie. Um, but I, Flux Gourmet, I think, is much better. I prefer, I mean, Peter Strickland is just such a fascinating, weird director. Um and I think that's such a such a unique movie. Um, but I was very, very surprised and very pleased by the menu. Um, also, not sure if it really fits into any of our categories, um, which is unfortunate. But sometimes there's great things that don't quite don't quite fit any of those any of those categories, which is can be unfortunate. My um, only other thing I saw this week is well, I guess there's two things. There's Spirited, the new Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell movie. Also <laughs> doesn't fit yet. into any no, of our categories. Definitely not. <laughs> uh then there's a is it is it black enough is that black enough for you? A really good Netflix documentary about oh yeah uh, black film history, which we could talk about next week. I'll say Yeah, I'm gonna that. have to fit in quite a lot of documentaries. I think I have uh, only a few on my list so far, so I'm gonna need to do some catching up. I could give ideas if you need. I've I've seen so many. I must have. Yeah, it seems like it's been a pretty good year for documentaries. So we'll have to. We'll see how everything lines up. But uh, as far as uh, scripted films go, um, uh, what do you what do you look for in a in a screenplay? Oh yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that's kind of, at least in the past, kind of before I I really got into the world of film and then eventually kind of doing the film critic thing. I I always kind of was like, what is like, how do you separate screenplay from just a good movie in general? 
And I think that, I would think at least that is a question that is kind of, goes throughout a lot of people's minds of like, how do you separate these different awards? I think probably the same goes for like best director um, for people who just kind of casually are following stuff like the Oscars and wondering what these categories kind of exactly mean. Um, which I, I get in, it. It's, uh, happens in best actor too, like because they're reading the lines and if the lines are really terrific and written well for the right. character, I think people confuse character and acting. Uh, sometimes right which is also like i think why a lot of the time actor ends up going to like someone that just played a famous person because right. they they know that like oh they did a good job looking like that famous person it's like but is yeah. it really good acting um is kind of the the question there um good cosplay but, should be it right <laughs> yeah best biopic performance <laughs> yes it's own category um, pretty uh, weak year biopic wise actually they, they seem like those are usually contenders and i don't feel like they're that strong this year yeah the so. only one i really think that i can see being in there is elvis um yeah maybe which <laughs> i don't like very much um i don't know how the academy is going to end up feeling about blonde i don't know if that'll be a contender at all either um obviously i despise that film but um i'm indifferent to it so i don't yeah it's worse than despising it i i don't care at all <laughs> <laughs> that's that, true that might be the worst just forgettable possible. right <laughs> yeah um i mean there's no uh real like aaron sorkin dialogue this year there's yeah. nothing like so like bespoke and like um i think maybe should we get into like our picks or what do you want to cover first uh well i guess let's i mean we should probably talk about a little bit more of just like what what screenplay like kind of means in in terms of what we're looking for and and what how we sort of think of it i mean i think for me at least it's like screenplay you're looking at like the actual text of the film kind of removed from like the visuals of it you know like you can have a great screenplay that is maybe not executed as well by you know the direction or the visuals um obviously if you're looking at something like best picture it's how all of those things come together in unison but screenplay can kind of exist on its own and and how does that like the the story itself the text itself what is that doing and how is that um exemplified by just just that in its purest form i guess they could continue to say what it's not for me like it's not plot (laughs) um like the things that just happen in a marvel movie or whatever aren't screenplay for me those are um largely excuses for action and um excuses for set pieces which i find aren't you know that's not amazing screenplay for me um uh, for me you know it's about the the characterizations and the the dialogues and and just a um yeah more story than plot i think is what i would define it as uh yeah for me even the director i think of as a writer um maybe i think of everyone's role as a um, writing in a way because that's how i approach it with the i guess literary or uh fairly well-read background would be i approach everything as literature and then i go from there um and uh yeah i try to think of screenplay as a kind of literature too like uh, separate would i read this book um right if it exactly were a book, uh would i would i give it my time if this were a story that i was sitting down to read and it weren't just like a, a visual um representation of yeah exactly yeah like what is this actually you know telling what is it talking about you know what is the 
development like the characterization like you said and you know how is how are the interactions between the characters like is it selling you the script itself is it really selling you on what you're seeing in the characters in the world or you know is it just somewhat that's something that's somewhat interesting that's being elevated by visuals and other things around it um, and it's just things like do does every character have individual voice and yeah um is there uh it, it doesn't have to be an act structure but is there structure is there definitely uh, form around like where the movie is going and and what it's trying to say i think of a lot of movies that are very celebrated and i i think they're very formless and and they have no shape at all um i, I don't know if i should go into examples but uh I, I do think there are a lot of films that are modern and celebrated that have almost no merits as screenplay. Uh, uh, but then you uh, also look at like what gets neglected. I think often um, international films get neglected in the screenplay Absolutely. when they don't need to be. Um, I think people could see it very clearly with uh, someone who's more Hollywood-styled, like Bong Joon-ho or maybe Triple R this year. Um uh, something that's very action focused and again about plotting and and set pieces they kind of they kind of fall into those things as examples of what screenplay could be but um i mean you could look at like decision to leave or like broker maybe or uh all these uh films from korea the last 10 years and and they're probably all excellent examples of what screenplay is um i find uh south korea's filmography lately too just like really yeah. inspiring in that way um very clear distinct voice and uh ethereal tone is important to me uh, absolutely yeah I, and i think i'll end up talking about both of those movies in here um and maybe well you know this will just benefit from kind of diving into it at this point and talking about what we're liking for this category and kind of what each of these films kind of exemplify in those terms um, and also kind of an interesting division here in terms of talking about our winners from last year which I think kind of also just speaks to the difference between a critics group that is more in tune with what screenplay is and the Academy, which is maybe just not quite sure what they're voting for in terms of screenplay, because last right. year uh, we awarded Drive My Car Best Screenplay, which I think is Perfect. absolutely well-deserved, one of my favorite yeah. movies. Um, and then the Oscars, oh, man, I mean, also they have it split. Drive My Car, right? <laughs> I wish. Uh, unfortunately, they have it split into um, adapted and original. I just went with the winner for original screenplay. Okay. Um, Oscars gave it to Belfast. <laughs> did they really? They really did. That's, fu- That's fu- <laughs> unbelievable. I know. It's so bad. I, Belfast is one of my least favorite movies from last year. It might even be my least favorite screenplay of last year. It's a terrible screenplay. It's just, it's wow. barely coherent. There's like no clear ideology in that movie at all. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm shocked that that happened. And uh, I remember I've being shocked out. when it, yeah, when it was announced, I was like, why would you give it to this? I have like such a traumatic response to uh, Belfast that uh, anytime it's mentioned, I, I try to, uh, um, remove myself uh dissociate from the situation uh horrible movie wow it yeah it's it's really bad um drive my car is an excellent example of like what that international choice could be something like yeah 
Burning also would be a great example. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Burning is also uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but yeah, Drive My Car is such a beautiful screenplay and totally like the perfect example of something that works, I think, with, even without um, the, the visual aspect and everything around it. Like there is perfect character development happening there and it's it's so character focused on that stuff and that's what works and so that's a yeah it's a great screenplay um but what do you like for this year usually i like to have like a a big like french movie that i'm like uh really high on and could feel really (laughs) sophisticated about like i don't have any french movies yeah i was gonna say i don't know if i have any i don't know if i've got any french movies from this year pick it up france um uh, almost all of mine, uh, contrary to what I say, are are English language because I haven't seen Decision to Leave or Broker yet, and I think that that could help. Um, it could only help. Um, well, my favorite of the year, it'll keep coming up, is Banshees of Inisherin, which a uh, uh, Martin McDonough's just ethereal voice, like I say, is what I'm looking for. I would totally read it as a book. Yeah, I'd be fixated. Um, I'd read it as a screenplay. I'd like sit down and like, uh, I mean. Uh, Stephen could say like the the Bon Mots or whatever are very like uh, prescriptive, but uh, at the same time, I think it just flows, uh, and the language is so specific in it. Um, yeah, like, it's... I love that, uh, and it has a great screenplay hook, which is like everything was fine yesterday. Great, that's a sales pitch. That's a... I I think so too. Yeah, yeah. no, Banshees of Sharon is also on my list, and I think definitely is such a great screenplay that that has so much to say. And does so much in, in the in the way that it you know is talking about its characters and you will be able to listen to Calvin and Stephen and I talk about Banshees of Inisherin uh, this coming Friday um, the new episode of Spoiling Things we talk about it in more detail um, and we disagree with Stephen a lot <laughs> and and you could also listen to David sitting there <laughs> that's true to us David is there it. too <laughs> <laughs> a, a surprise to all of us. Um, uh, what do you have? What's what's first for you? I'm sure we'll have an overlap on whatever's on our top threes. Um, I might circle back around to what I've got at number one. Okay. Um, but since you mentioned both Decision to Leave and Broker, I'll, I'll mention both of those. Decision to okay. Leave is on my list. I think it's a really exceptional screenplay. Um, I think Park Chan-wook has just historically had such great screenplays because... He's so great with with plotting these mysteries and the way that things unfold is so important. And that doesn't happen without the screenplay being structured in that specific way. Um, because, like, I think it's part of it is in um, Stephen's review, which is on our website that you can read for Decision to Leave. But I've mentioned it as well. The like the reality of Decision to Leave is not that complex, but it's the way that it's written and the way that that screenplay plays out that makes it feel so much more rich and dense thematically. Um you can take something that is fairly simple and make it feel so much more, so much more and fa- fancy and important um, than maybe the the exact text of it is. But it's the way that you weave that stuff through screenplay that I think makes it really special. And uh, um, what about Broker? Oh yeah, so Broker. So I'm I haven't finished it yet. I'm in the middle okay. of it right now. Um, I asked you to record in the middle, so that's really... <laughs> totally fine. Um, I I do think that I've gotten through enough of it to have at least the the simple opinions that i need um before forming something fully but i so far i don't think that it's super exceptional as a screenplay um it's it's really good i'm really liking it so far but a lot of it does feel kind of like koreda doing kind of a lot of people have called it kind of like a just him doing kind of a greatest hits kind of thing where it's a lot of ideas that you've seen before in his movies mm-hmm. 
Um, and it is that, and it's not really a bad thing because those things work well and he's great at doing them, but it doesn't feel fresh or novel in the way that, you know, some of his other films feel so special um, and critical because it seems like you've seen a lot of these ideas before. Um, so screenplay-wise... I, like, I feel like he's like a, like a master director. I don't know if I think of his films as like screenplay masterworks, usually. I would agree, uh, yeah. I think he's a very visual and uh, high concept and, and really incredible director. And um, yeah. I've interviewed him on the site, um, and I, I, I just remember um, him saying that he feels like he's like losing his fastball, but uh, in a way, it's just like his pitch is changing, and like the speed at which he could throw them anymore. Uh, go listen to that interview. But I think Karita, uh, uh, I think specializes in a visual language, which is another thing I go for. I think so too. He's such an evocative director, and that he has these ideas that maybe again kind of like they these ideas themselves are maybe not so complex but the way that he can depict them he can really you know pull a lot out of the viewer um emotionally um and and yeah i think that a lot here is a lot of the the visuals and the other stuff around that yeah and i would agree that the the screenplay is not the specific thing that i really am enjoying about broker um i think the cinematography is is gorgeous one of my favorite cinematographers um hong kyung pyo um shot that and it's really really pretty um which i like a lot and i'll talk about it again more um because the score me too really i'm i'll be watching broker as soon as possible too um in the next few days there's uh usually my in my instinct to get the french on my list is just <laughs> like stemming from my large history of the um gay do cinema crew and like uh just thinking that they're like the most marvelous like writers on film of all time and also like uh, uh the philosophical concepts of like eric romare and like yeah. being like okay the director as a writer but also the director is a writer and the director's going to deconstruct genre and uh, think about like high-minded ideas of who these characters are and and how they like interact in their space like my night at mods is my i think the right. best example i've ever seen of screenplay writing like that I whole wouldn't thing disagree. <laughs> that whole thing hinges on like the most excellent like formal academic screenplay of like what this could actually be um and for me uh i think you'll have be happy to hear tar kind of fits into like exactly what i'm looking for like psychologically from like character study and uh it says so much about her every line that psychologically gets something yeah out of Kate Blanchett. yeah i was gonna kind of circle back to it but we can talk about tar right now because it very easily my number one for right now I, I mean i don't think that anything else quite comes close to what i think tar accomplishes with the screenplay mm -hmm. um because it is such a specific character study and i think it just gets so much out of that like almost a surprising amount um even <sighs> so much yeah it, and like you said it's just like every little line is like building up to to her character and and adding to like this really rich text of like what it's what all everything that it's saying and everything that it wants to do and it's like i feel like you can pick any scene and really take that in its own direction as far as what that's doing and how that adds to the rest of it and it's just yeah it's phenomenal it's one that just is really so much fun to think about afterwards it's not a case where it's a book i would read because it has to be a movie and it works so flawlessly being that's a fair. movie that yeah i couldn't divorce it again it's the author 
uh, ship of a director and yeah. um, them really writing on screen. I, I don't need to read the book. I have the book and it's it's the movie. Um, I feel like I've got uh, that same character depth that I would have got reading a long novel out of like that whole character yeah. of Tar. Uh, Lydia Tar is such a dense, like weighty character and uh, so many themes and, and ideas explored every time she talks and every action she has. And it's the simple things. It's like her listening to NPR. It's her statue like <laughs> at the podium. It's the uh, organization of the set. Um, things yeah. that can be endemic in a screenplay, but aren't always uh, uh, in like an amateur screenplay or someone who's just doing action film. Um, you could do a lot of the staging and ideas about like a placement of where people should be and how they should be in uh, conjunction to how they act. And uh, those kinds of things are invisible in a lot of screenplays, but very evident to me in Tara that that uh, Todd Field thought about this well yeah. ahead of shooting it. Um, every part of this feels to me designed uh, in the screenplay. Yeah, it's designed so well. I feel like just every single thing, like, it does things so often where it, like, recontextualizes everything that's happened before. And it has does it so often, it does it so fast, but it never feels out of character like everything that happens right. makes perfect sense but it also makes you rethink everything that happened before it's like i just like the whole yeah. time i was watching it, i was like this is just like shockingly brilliant in the way that it's unfolding all of this and then like there's also like so many different ways you can look at it like it's yeah weird how well it works as like an extremely dark comedy <laughs> like especially like and you don't think about that until the very end of the movie, but then it's like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like that final shot is just like so awesome in the way that it just recontextualizes everything. And you're like, oh, this is kind of hilarious at the same time. <laughs> like, it's great. I, I yeah, Tara is just exceptional. We're not on spoiling things, but I, I was very worried about what it meant for certain industries already knowing the ending before I got to the movie. Um, and it, it didn't do any of the things I really thought it was going to fall into. Um, it's it's not disreputable. It all means something again yeah. to to like Lydia Tarr's like weighty tale of uh, essentially she's right. Um, I think the movie's framing her as possibly correct, but she goes about everything possibly the wrong way. Uh, it's kind of yeah. like I uh, mean that's it, what makes it such a great character study to me. And it's yeah. like I, I'm just like I appreciate when movies don't aren't interested in like doing the moralizing for you like <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just presenting this very complex character in this very complex set of circumstances and it's like and what do you think and i'm like cool i that's you know i'm totally fine with that you know you don't need to tell me exactly what how i should feel about her actions or you know her opinions it's it's very specific and that's in that way yeah correct and taking the wrong actions is yeah. possibly a very interesting thing for a character her character specifically to be doing uh along those same lines mine uh in my top three would be after sun for the same reasons that you're saying uh a lot of the design around uh the film revealing itself and unraveling okay. is very um kind of designed by the script i think uh not a lot of script in it again it is very visual language but i think um a lot of things that happen and where the scenes are and I think a lot of that is the text. Uh, right. Um, so After Sun's kind of like a dark horse choice that, that I don't expect others to choose, but I could see it slipping into some list. I mean, I think I do think that the way that stuff like unfolds like that is, is so important. It's like, even if it's not like necessarily a, a script heavy film and it's more visual, mm -hmm. it's like the way that you design that going into it is also super important. Um, 
still one that's like on the top of my priority list and i just haven't quite okay you haven't that. seen it i in my Not mind you've seen it. it okay i keep um, saying it which is probably why yes. <laughs> um, but i just haven't yet okay uh yeah something about how the story develops and i think it is all story i think there's zero plot like uh, <laughs> there's zero plot at all in uh after sun and that's kind of what i want from a screenplay right. too if if karita does succeed it's because of a plotlessness too i think um that goes back to you know like uh, you'd hate to hear it but the ozu like uh you know like a, there's other formal ways to tell a story yeah. with the camera uh rather than just uh expositioning um, absolutely and i yeah, think that's I, important i think that's definitely more successful in specifically talking about Kareda, like some of his older movies i think broker is more plot um than some of his other okay. stuff um because it is like a specific like it's kind of a road movie which i mean i like road movies a lot and so there's a lot to like there but i think the the structure of it gives it more like there are points along the way that turn it into a more formally structured thing rather than some of his other stuff like still walking which is very loose and not very plot heavy um but yeah i also have um on my list which is another thing that i saw this week glass onion ryan johnson's sequel to knives out um i think it's another like great thing for screenplay because i think especially it exemplifies to me we're seeing now kind of the result of the popularity of Knives Out, which is a bunch of people making murder mysteries and a bunch of people mostly not knowing how to make murder mysteries yes. <laughs> and not knowing how to make them enticing or interesting. Um, but this is the opposite of that. It's just like, it's it's nice to go into the theater and be like, oh, okay, Ryan Johnson still knows exactly what he's doing. And that's exactly it. I mean, he knows how to perfectly structure and unravel this kind of mystery. And it's like, he also it's so smartly in conversation with knives out itself like in that he knows what people's expectations are going in i think he plays with that really well um and like i love the idea that there's this constantly repeated thing of it being a glass onion and it's like okay it pur- purports itself as having layers but as you can just look through it um and i think that like, he turns uh, that like into looking the, through the donut hole right right (laughs) yeah exactly like i think he he weaves that into the fabric of the film itself really well um yeah i think it is a really exceptional screenplay there's a lot to like there um i have some issues with it um but i i'll have a review up sometime this week that you can read um about more of my thoughts on glass onion but i think it is a really good screenplay so i'm excited for more people to be able to see that one presumably it will be very annoying that i won't see it until the end of our show um the, there might be you know retroactive category fitting once say i think it's like a late december netflix release we'll see. it is late december on netflix okay. or it's in theaters this week only i believe so if you can um, manage to find some time to catch it very unlikely but i wish um, <laughs> busy busy holiday week i totally get it so much going on yeah uh, and with that i think i, I that wrap I could up go, your screenplay no, talk I could go several other ways with it. Um, okay. Crimes of the Future is another one where I think it's all in the screenplay. No, that's of, that's a great example. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think entirely that movie is screenplay, and um, I mean, even contrary to some of what I said, like expositioning about what um, one of these movies could be, one of these body horror movies. Um, yeah. What I mean, do you just... think? What... I think it just. I mean, it depends on sort of the presentation there, and I think that 
Cronenberg knows exactly how to present like the exposition stuff and actually make it worthwhile and to make it interesting and it doesn't feel like a slog it feels like it's adding to sort of the universe of the world and it adds to the conversation of what he wants to be saying with it um no that's a really great one i, I really like love crimes of the future so every time we bring it up i like crimes of the future more which is convincing <laughs> me i should rewatch before the the end of the show uh but so much to watch um yeah i know rewatch and... I, i've said that about many things i'm like oh, i should rewatch that before the end of the year and then it's like days go on and i'm like i don't know how much i'll actually get a chance to rewatch here i think it's such like a fascinating almost like thesis on everything he's done and it's so yeah. in conversation with his works uh, at a fundamental like screenplay level where i think so yeah uh, the writing and it's all him and it's so much uh cronenberg writing his story and and what i really like about authors uh um, so yeah, anything with authorship is what I, I generally go for. Um, uh, likewise, uh, nope for pretty obvious Jordan Peele reasons. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't make any push for it. It's down on lower yeah, on my list. Yeah, I, mean, I I like Nope a lot. I weirdly like don't think of it as like a super like screenplay focused movie. I mean, it is. Mm. I think a lot of it is in that screenplay, but I think so much of that movie to me is visual that I yeah. It's hard for me to think of it as like a screenplay film. And when Jordan Peele has faults, I think most of them or in screenplay whereas yeah. i think uh, i think like the uniqueness of his screenplays and his identity and um how he characterizes his work is all very interesting in screenplay yeah. but but when people do have critiques i think that's where they whether or not they know that when they're critiquing it <laughs> i always i always read them and i'm like what they mean is that us has a a screenplay that they're not buying into or something um no us i agree is a really I mean... good movie with a strange screenplay I yeah no I totally agree with that I do think that my problems with us are pretty much the screenplay and, and the screenplay in the third act specifically but I also that's like a movie that I want to revisit with a different uh, perspective so we'll see if I change my opinion on us at some point I mean you could just keep going down until we get to like terrible <laughs> uh screenplays till we get to Amsterdam death on the Nile and sharp stick but uh, yeah I guess uh, I, could, I could take a look we, at my we don't list need here. To, we don't need to go all the way down a love song is okay about like a uh, two people like meeting in the mountains of Montana. I wouldn't nominate it for anything, but I think the screenplay is fine. Um, yeah, I don't know if if there's anything lower on my list that I would really um, talk about the screenplay. Um, Turning Red's really cute. <laughs> if uh, animation never gets considered in these things, and I feel like Pinocchio might also be a a possibility yeah i i just that's why that's like i feel like pinocchio might fit into so many different things and i'm like i don't do i really want to go in and you know make a ridiculous drive to go see it i don't know but i feel like i don't want to wait that long to go see it so i don't know we'll right. see <laughs> we'll see if i mention it next week on the show sure um, um yeah i think yeah, i'm good yeah i don't think there's anything else for me either i think that's we've got a we've got a good a good selection here and there's still quite a lot of stuff coming out in the rest of the year um, as far as mentioning what might end up fitting into this category. I mean, yeah, like we mentioned before, The Fablemans, um, I think, has potential maybe. Who knows? Um, rest of the year, we've also got... Um, Babylon could. Babylon possibly. could as well. We've got Women Talking and The Whale coming up as well. Um, I think those uh, are The Whale's yeah. the last of my uh, screenings that I've got lined up currently. Uh, um, adaptive wise we have the man called oof um the uh, tom hanks I, I forget what they're renaming that but uh frederick bachman's one of my favorite uh, uh novel writers of like the last 10 years so, okay um 
that's a great book and uh man called Louv and uh, my grandma told me to tell you I'm sorry and uh, Bear Town uh, uh, he has quite a few really great books uh, I don't know if the Tom Hanks movie will be very good but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like it could be in like a more typical Oscars yeah. play um, yeah it's interesting I like I'm not sure what I'm not sure where like the Oscars are kind of landing right now. I'm, I'm, it'll be interesting to see where they end up when that time comes around. I'm not sure kind of what's going to be standing out in that in that realm of the awards stuff. I think once we get through Fablemans, The Whale, and Babylon, more will be clear to us. <laughs> I I think so too. Yeah, um, those seem like the the biggest. Like the Academy will be certainly looking at those um i think the fablemans is like such an easy like <laughs> steven yeah. spielberg making his cinema paradiso movie it's like of course the of course the academy is gonna love that but also i'm sure i will love it too so i can't be yes. mad <laughs> I, I yeah i can't be too mad because i'm i'm almost sure to be positive on it oh yeah i can't absolutely. imagine another outcome i can't imagine either um but i think I think that'll do it for best screenplay. We ended up talking about that for a lot longer than I thought it than I thought we would, um, yes. which I think has been this show in general so far. As we think this will be a short show, and then we're two hours later, we're done. <laughs> yeah, next uh, week will be long. Uh, I'm I'm fairly sure. Yeah, we should maybe just expect all of these to be long at this point. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's talk about best original score for this year. Um, last year, both the Seattle Film Critics Society and the Oscars gave it to Dune by Hans Zimmer. Um, good pick. I can't argue with that, really, even though I think um, Aiko Ishibashi's uh, Drive My Car score should win everything for all time. Uh, amazingly, you guys got uh, permission to use it for, uh, I'm thinking of spoiling things, which is... Uh... One of the cooler things that's happened for like music <laughs> on our site, besides Jack composing uh, everything, which is always awesome. Yeah, I, I just love that. I love that score so much. Um, I mean, Dune is also very good. I totally understand why it ended up going to that. It's a much more um, specific score in the way that it, it is working in that movie, and it's so much more traditional score. Drive My Car is um, so different. Um, oh, yeah. Well, last year... <laughs> I think I was in the Johnny Greenwood camp, which is where I usually oh, yeah. end up. Of Power of the Dog was, I think, just fantastic. Yeah, he um, had he had several last year. He did Spencer as well, and there's one more Johnny Greenwood score last year. I think he had three, but I don't remember what the third what one was is it? off the top of my head. Okay, I'll have to check here. I'm, I'm because I'm curious now. Yeah, I, I can't remember much else. I know Titan was fine score wise. Um. um was it last year maybe i'm wrong maybe it was just those two um i could be could have been incorrect about that maybe it was just spencer and the power of the dog that might be um all that he did last year but two very good scores i certainly um, certainly liked those both a lot but that kind of leads into what i was going to start this kick this off with because i am uh such a huge fan of film scores um for anyone that knows me and for anyone that doesn't now you know that about me um <laughs> So I just wanted to ask, like, what are some of your all-time favorites? Um, either whether it's whether it's the films themselves or just favorite film score composers, maybe. I guess you mentioned Johnny Greenwood, which is a great pick. Really love Johnny Greenwood's work. Yeah, uh, Mika Levy, obviously, I've talked about yeah. so much on the website. Um, <laughs> I, I never stop talking about Mika Levy because they are amazing. Um, Under the Skin is kind of their masterwork but everything they do interests me they also have a 
a solo career and a band uh, both are very interesting um yeah i really liked um the score for zola even though i know that's a movie you didn't like at all the yeah, the, the score, score was, was was very good um yeah good and, stuff there uh cinema paradiso is uh my second favorite score ever so it's, oh yeah uh, Morricone, uh, yeah, beautiful any Americone would take up you know like if i made a top 10 list and i didn't like be like okay i could only include one Maricone. i think like eight of them might be like <laughs> scores and three of them might be uh from the man with no name trilogy uh, <laughs> which is just like my favorite musical aesthetic is like that kind of twangy italian weird um uh, a lot of the strangeness from the westerns i'm attached to yeah. a lot of the artifacts there uh kioma is another italian western i'm really drawn to which has like a uh like sweeping operatic score that's like way too much for the movie it's like <laughs> that's always great when the score is like totally like above what the movie is which i guess we kind of talked about with like um next exit last week like the um, very mediocre movie but the score is composed by danny elfman and you're like oh the music's really good <laughs> well it's like this woman like like singing this opera chant and she's not quite an opera singer so her like voice is stretching and caught in her throat and she's like S- screaming about kiyoma like riding over the hills on his horse i think it's the coolest thing that's ever <laughs> that's been made. Awesome. Uh, so that that one song in kiyoma is uh, my favorite score of all time um uh, once again yeah <laughs> once upon a time in the west uh, again i can't quite get away from the leone uh aesthetics uh, and what um him having like a uh, boyhood connection with ennio maricone and them kind of like growing up together i think shows a lot in their movies together yeah. and what they did Ducky Sucker, also uh, the Mission, of course, more Maricone. Um, another Western, uh, more soundtrack-wise. I guess I have a few choices like that. Uh, McCabe and Miss Miller has the Leonard Cohen. Uh, oh backing, yeah, great stuff. Uh, which is just the best choice anyone's made. Um, uh, Robert Altman also going into Nashville, incredible stuff because it's so in the world and it's so like developed around that aesthetic. Uh, Singles is a soundtrack full of grunge songs from 1992 which is entirely my <laughs> of course thing. um i don't think anyone's ever made a soundtrack or i don't think anyone makes decisions that are so close to my heart as what cameron crow does um and he keeps doing it like uh he, he made this film uh, we bought a zoo <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and they're like in the bar and we bought a zoo and there's like sound garden on in the background <laughs> Like, uh, I love Cameron Crow. Uh, that's great. I, I didn't expect to hear the connection between Calvin and We Bought a Zoo this week, but that's great stuff. I'm going to keep trying to bring it up in <laughs> shows. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, fantastic, like, oh, so bluegrass. Yeah. Like, another side of, like, the twangy countryness that I kind of like. Uh, I'm not a country guy, but I like uh, I like a little bit of a uh, gritty country Americana sound in my movies. Um, Dazed and Confused, uh, also another just killer soundtrack oh yeah uh that doesn't have days and confused in it um but but great um, <laughs> thankfully that he remedied that with everybody wants some he did have that song in the movie <laughs> it would have been funnier if he didn't but uh, <laughs> that's true um, um yeah we'll, we'll talk more did, uh so talk speak. more about soundtracks later because yeah I, I love a good soundtrack too it's definitely an important distinction um <laughs> to to separate the the score and the soundtrack there um yeah, I feel like I could probably do a whole podcast yeah, with multiple too. episodes a, about about film scores. Very, that's a very um, edited list of uh, kind of my perspective. 
Yeah, I really narrowed it down um, to just a few here, but I can, I can, I can, I'm sure I could go on forever. Um, it's interesting you talk about like the like the Italian Western stuff because like that's like a realm of filmmaking that I haven't quite like delved into. But like at the same time, on the other side of Italian stuff, like Italian horror scores are like some of my favorites um, of anything. I feel like I could even <laughs> do like a whole podcast on Italian <laughs> horror scores. Um, I. Yeah, I mean, like, Goblin is just, like, everything that they've done is is outstanding. And, yeah, Claudio Simonetti and Fabio Fritzi are just, like, some brilliant composers there for, for horror stuff. Um, but some of my favorite stuff of all time, I mean, I love pretty much everything um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have worked on. Uh, I would say probably, like, they are my, my favorite composers. Um, mm-hmm. The Social Network is, like, my favorite score of all time. It's um, perfect. Yeah. yeah it's it's absolutely perfect and it's like i just i could keep listening to that on its own forever um, because it's just so outstanding um love a lot of south korean scores too um the handmaiden i think is just outstanding one of my favorites parasite has a really great score as well um excuse me um and then also like in the mood for love is one of my favorite scores as well um love pretty much every like Wong Kar Wai movie has just a really perfect score for for what it he's does. going for yeah. stuff's so great score and soundtrack generally oh yeah yeah, yeah he blends those two to that always tons of great needle drops in those Wong Kar Wai movies alongside a really really great score um and then I did mention drive my car but like drive my car is just have has become one of my favorite scores I, I another one that I can just listen to all the time because it's just so great it's like my favorite writing music um while I'm working on stuff do you um, like the score more than the movie <laughs> no, I don't think I'd say that because I really love the movie a lot. I was um, hoping I'd surprise you and you'd be confused. You, <laughs> you almost did. I was like, wait a minute, but no, I do. I do love the movie. I just can't. I can't sit down and watch a three-hour movie on a regular basis. Otherwise, I probably would have watched Drive My Car several more times. Sure, um, it's fantastic. Yeah, and then I, I think out of his, I mean, um, excuse me, Joe Hisaishi is one of my favorite composers. I think out of his. I'm gonna, especially if I'm gonna go kind of outside the box and not talk about his his Ghibli work. I would say Sonatine is is one of his best scores. Um, another favorite of mine. Um, great the Ghibli movie. stuff's good too. Yeah. But yeah, I, I absolutely can't argue with any of his Ghibli stuff, which is which is really fantastic. Um, I don't want. I won't just go on forever about my favorite <laughs> scores because I absolutely could. Um, but my list kinda... was three times longer than <laughs> I got to. <laughs> yeah, I could I could keep going forever, but it's just scratching the surface. But that's some of my all time favorite stuff. You know, just those movies that I think are really really elevated by their scores. Um, but I think that kind of speaks to like why I I love scores so much because I think if you have the right score for a movie, it's like I just think it elevates it to such a completely different degree for me. Like music in movies to me is like so completely critical um and can totally make or break something and almost all of my favorite movies i think really have exceptional music in them and it's something that is the reason that i love them is because the music is so great um so it's like one of the one of the things that i'm always thinking about and noticing when i'm watching a movie is is what is the music doing here and what work is it putting in to elevate this even when i watch documentaries or something that seems so divorced from it i I, yeah all i could think about is how like uh, well if you put music in a documentary you're obviously manipulating the subject with artificial sound that wasn't (laughs) like present like in right uh, like like when 
fish attack each other underwater, there's not dramatic music playing. So you think about Jaws and like that, that's not the music being on the water, which is just calmness and waves. It's, yeah. you know, it's a, how do you elevate the scene and manipulate the material? And does the music Absolutely. change the, like the music totally changes the meaning of Jaws and it, and it's almost the, um, not seeing, uh, Jaws itself is more, the music becomes Jaws, right? Like the music exactly. is the embodiment yeah. of what you don't see. And that's kind of what I look for is how the music fills the audiovisual spaces of like a work. And that's why I like under the skin so much. And, uh, most of my picks it's, um, audio visually like a part of, of a presentation. Yeah, I like what a... you do, which is you collect like a lot of vinyls of, a of, um, scores because I think like the object divorced from the visual is so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I do have I do have quite a sizable collection at this point of some of my my favorite film scores, um, which is just like because I I do it's like when it's the right thing it's like it's something that I just want to listen to on its own, um, but yeah, it's like the the score can do so much work in in changing the material and building the groundwork of like atmosphere and it's like I think Under the Skin is such a perfect example because it's like if you watch that movie without any of the music it's like what's happening there it's like the the music totally sets that atmosphere and it's like the most mundane thing suddenly becomes so alien and ethereal and different. And it's like, that's what makes that film feel so specific. And without yeah. that, you totally lose that. And it's like, what movies, how is the music like changing that and setting that atmosphere? It almost just becomes a Kubrick movie without the, without the score, um, like the oddness of it and the stillness yeah. of it and the perfection of the shots would just, you just have a Kubrick movie, like a very good one, <laughs> but, uh, yeah uh, but it, i think it elevates above to what kubrick ever did so uh, that's that's nice for me um, um so i'm very curious what some of your favorite scores this year have been what do you got it's kind of like shiftier for me like looking year by year i have trouble kind of like nailing down like what like what's my memory of of what these <laughs> scores are or when was i most moved um and i think it's unfair to have just watched tar just before getting on because a movie about so music bold. yeah <laughs> yeah and it's and it's so a part of it as i say like it fills the visual space and it speaks to the yeah. character so well and uh, like i like under the skin i like violin in movies i like a lot of uh um yeah that orchestral stuff of like you know cinema paradiso and uh, uh that's why i like about the italian westerns like full orchestras get it right uh, making silly music is fun for me um but I think it's like it's, it seems like an obvious one, but it's also yeah. like it's also why it makes sense because if you have a movie about someone who is supposedly this master conductor and it's about the upper echelon of this kind of music and the greatest of the greatest, then it's like you have to have music that sells that world, and it does. And um, soundtrack or the score is done by um, I'm sure that I'm not going to say this name correctly, but Hildur Gunadotir. Um, who did Joker? And I think won um, an Oscar for Joker um, for that uh, I score. Don't, I don't know why nobody ever talks about her and names her but for yeah. her work. She's so incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hilder, no, she's she's uh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's incredible. She's like the one great thing about Joker that nobody talks about. Like that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. It's like the best thing about Joker is her score and the soundtrack cuts, and and people only talk about like the um, the what is it, rock and roll part two. <laughs> oh yeah at all. the, the um, stare dance yeah. right it's funny because I, 
it's funny because i think tar name drops her at the beginning of the movie in that opening scene when they're having that conversation about other composers i think they yeah, name does. drop her <laughs> which just makes it that much funnier to me that she's the composer of the movie she's um, really great yeah but yeah the, i mean it is it is a movie about music but it's like it the, the music of it actually is really helping to sell all of that um and when it does have those scenes of just like extended orchestral music that's just playing at you it's like it's you are liking it because it is really beautiful music and it's really exceptional stuff it's really exceptionally put together how hard is this that we're recording this like within the week that we just heard the justin Hurwitz at babylon (laughs) i was gonna get to that i have i have on my list babylon probably (laughs) because (laughs) the movie's not out but there's two singles out from justin Hurwitz's babylon score and it's all i've been listening to this week because they are incredible songs they're better than anything i've heard in a movie this year which like kind of leaves me with like a lot of doubt of what we're doing here uh because I wrote it in capitals above all my choices, <laughs> and you wrote a big probably around it. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's very likely if nothing else works in that movie, it will. I mean, it, yeah, it, it would have really, been in here. It wouldn't surprise me at all, and I it won't surprise me when I do see the movie and it's exceptional. Because if those two songs are like what's starting it, then it's. I can only get better from there, really. I mean, I, I Justin Hurwitz <laughs> is a is a favorite composer in general. I've really liked all of his work with Damien Chazelle as it is. So, like, to see this this Babylon stuff, and I'm like, all right, this is like an escalation of all of it. This is great stuff here. Yeah, he does he does great work, and I am imagining that Babylon will will come in as a as a late entry into this once we've actually seen it. But it's worth mentioning because you can hear some of it, and it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely go on Spotify and, and check it out. Um, those two songs are, are better than anything I have here. Uh, how about you? Do you, have, do you have anything you feel so strongly about? I do. So, I mean, I, going into this, I was expecting, at least going into award season, I was like, so Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are doing two scores, and they're probably yes. going to be at the top of my list. Um, they also did Empire of Light, which we did not end up seeing yet. Um, but I'm sure once I'll get to that, I've heard great things about the score. Mm -hmm. Um, so i'm sure i'll enjoy it once we get there only Uh, good thing i've heard is about the score actually that's (laughs) the only great thing yeah haven't heard too many positive reactions Um, but they also did the score to bones and all which i have seen and it is a phenomenal score and that score is has been released on its own now Um, but yeah bones and all is a really really excellent score and it's exactly what i want from a resner and ross score which is like really beautiful but also like really discordant and different and it really fits the sort of thematic explorations of the movie and it's like it's a film about not having a place and trying to find your place and like the music really is fitting alongside that and that the music is never quite right and like i love that it's all these like really like elegant guitar riffs um, soft guitar riffs but you also hear like these really accented like slides down um up and down the frets it's like really beautiful um the way that it's done um so i think that is also at the top of my list and that was probably going to be my number one until i heard those babylon songs and i was like oh maybe not (laughs) so we'll see by the end of the year here but for films that i actually have seen (laughs) bones and all is at the top of my list yeah for me there's uh, a thing about scores where um sometimes it's just like what fits into the movie like there's there's Mm -hmm. some scores where it's just like what's the context and 
they're not quite like things I'd put on wax right now and they, and would spin around. But I'd uh, I'd I'd watch like Mad right. God again. I think like the brilliance of like a minimalist understated score that's so apocalyptic and and fits that tone of that that strange movie or a uh, uh, something like After Sun where it's just kind of baked into the material. And, right. Uh, really suits it the whole way through also great uh, uh some great picks for uh soundtrack and, and after sun um okay also uh geez what else was there um everything everywhere all at once had a Sunlux, uh, a band i, I quite like oh yeah them. no they, they had a really good uh score i didn't have that down here but yeah that's uh that's a good one to mention as well um yeah really good music in that movie um I'll mention, um, it's a weird one to have on this list, but I was looking through what I have for this year and I was like, why shouldn't this be on the list? But, um, John Carpenter's score for Halloween ends, um, is very <laughs> yeah, good. Right. <laughs> why, um, why don't I have that? That's a, right. Like yeah. it's, it's great music and it's, you know, it's John Carpenter. I, I don't think that that's winning awards anywhere, unfortunately, but it's, it's a damn good score. I, I think <laughs> his scores for these new Halloween movies have been all really, really excellent. Um, but yeah, Halloween Ends is, is a great score. Great music there. Um, it's really funny because it's just so great. But I, I do think about that. Like, uh, there are a lot of fantastic horror scores that never quite yeah. get nominated. You think of, like, um, again, like the most iconic movie notes of all time are probably between, like, Jaws, Tubular Bells, and then Halloween. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's funny because like yeah, it is like the most some of the most memorable scores are stuff from horror, but it's like nobody really talks about them when you talk about film scores. Right. Yeah. Like Tubular Bells isn't like put up against cinema parody scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is. I mean, it's it's neat, and if you evoke the right idea, I think it yeah. always works in horror. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Banshees of Inisherin is another one where it just kind of feels like baked into the setting for me, and yeah, I, uh, it's I a like good one it. as well. I don't know. I don't remember who did that score. Do you know off the top of your head, or I don't remember. I had it written somewhere, but no. It is a good score. I do remember noticing it quite a lot during the during the film. I was like, yeah, this is really good. It's kind of this kind of similar to Bones and all, and that like it's like it the discordance of it fits in with the the film and like the fracturing of these relationships. Um. I will say from our previous conversation, watching Broker, the the score is really really good. I really like the music in Broker a lot, um, and that's Jung Jae Il who did the Parasite score, which is also one of my favorites. Um, very different than Parasite, I will say. It's not definitely not doing the same thing, but similar to a lot of Koreeda's movies, like it's this very soft spoken like acoustic score, and it's just really beautiful. Um, exactly what i'm looking for in like his his movies like that really really nice acoustic kind of score so that i mean that is great even though i might not be super hot on the movie by the end of it um that is definitely a great one to look for i think about like uh i'll probably get the name wrong Murasaki usa's uh inuo um uh, oh yeah yeah animated rock opera which just fucking slaps the whole way through <laughs> i need, uh, to, I need and, to watch that i wonder if we're gonna get a screener for that i need to watch it i'm not sure if it's out uh, anywhere is it g kids if it's g kids we will uh i think it be is good. okay we should get okay g kids uh, that would be great um man i, I mean uh, nobody will talk about this but uh, again i love <laughs> like a overwrought dramatic opera as um yeah a score for me always works and i think this is the one thing that works best about this movie about um like you know in 
use a style it's kind of like appendages flying everywhere but like right. it's like interconnected to the music this time and about uh the, yeah the spirit of this town conveyed through this rock opera and uh this yeah. guy like giving his life it doesn't make any sense but it's it's gorgeously scored i think uh, okay uh, yeah i'm gonna have uh, to i'm gonna have to hope that we get a screener in the next couple of days or like i'll yeah. need to see if it's available online somewhere um i don't know if it's gotten any kind of actual release yet or not i saw um, it at sif but I don't yeah think... but could be could be an animated so i'll have to see if i can get access before then or if it'll be uh, one that i'll talk about in a later episode once we do have access i could always give you a gkid email there um, <laughs> if it's them uh yeah, I mean, there's there's you know minor stuff too. I, uh, the Batman, I think, conveyed a lot of That's, Gotham yeah. a lot better sonically it is, than it's it ever is done. A very good score, yeah. Um, is that Giacchino? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah, very good score there. Um, I think that's that's it. I mean, we've got a solid selection already for soundtrack or for scores, and I think we'll yeah. we've even got a few more by the end of the year that might um, come in as contenders. So we got a good selection. It's a good year for music. Um, um, unconventionally i'd probably add as a footnote neptune frost just because the music's the thing yeah i did think about that as well and that's kind of like in a weird middle space yeah, between I like agree. soundtrack and score i didn't really know how to place that one but it. but yeah neptune frost is definitely a, a very good one um music wise um but i did so this isn't obviously this isn't a category but i did want to talk about kind of best soundtracks and what we liked for for soundtracks this year because it is another thing that's fun to discuss um a little bit more like of the normal music side that's not just scores and, and that stuff mm. um yeah i think there's there's i think there's quite a few this year that i really like in terms of soundtracks do you have anything that stands out for you <laughs> I, uh i think of last year i think uh, last year i had like the prime example summer of soul was just like such a knockout oh yeah like, all, yeah absolutely of like harlem combined with like the space race and like this like retro yeah. futurism through like black music and like what a black future could look like it was just like the best like conceptual thing so i'm looking forward to moon age daydream this week in the same sense of like telling a story through its music yeah i don't know why i didn't even think to like put moon age daydream on my list but it 100 percent fits obviously for for great soundtracks and it is a really really fantastic well curated bowie soundtrack of, of some of his best music um, um so that's definitely one to look out for if you're looking for great soundtracks there's also um, the uh <laughs> andrew dominic made a um another movie this year that's actually good um uh, oh really nick cave and warren ellis where they just oh, sit yeah, around yeah. a piano and they do like nick cave shit and it's really good <laughs> uh, i mean that's yeah that's audibly a lot better than whatever's going on in blonde uh, which actually is a kind of musically inventive movie but i I don't feel like celebrating Blonde that much. Yeah, um, no. Um, I like Nick Cave a lot in uh, Wings of Desire. It's a good appearance. I feel like there's uh, another movie with some Nick Cave in it. I'm forgetting now. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Yeah. There's another surprised. that's like high on my list. That's uh, also has some Nick Cave songs in it. But, uh, um, the Lad Goodbye is uh, the ultimate choice. <laughs> that's year. absolutely, yeah. I, I mean obviously not like oh, i mean not this is an actual category anyway that's a lot of goodbyes unfortunately <laughs> not like uh um 
I don't know what am I eligible for anything, but yeah, I mean, you didn't say is... it had to be licensed, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, but this is just our thing to talk about anyway. But so yeah, I mean, absolutely, the Lad Goodbye has such a great set list of, of just fantastic songs that are just so many good needle drops throughout that movie. I love those those uh, those songs so much. I haven't gotten to it. I imagine Magic Spot kind of. Uh, our friend Matt Farley, I'm sure, has composed some stuff for that. That's pretty knockout yeah no a magic spot is also like one of my favorites it's got some absolutely fantastic music um the stuff that um tom scalzo is doing for those movies these days has been just really great magic spots oh, yeah, great music. yeah um, um this year though best soundtracks there there have actually been quite a few really fun things in terms of soundtracks i don't like triangle of sadness as a film but it has a really great soundtrack there's a lot of really great songs in that um really great stuff in there um that i've actually been i have been listening to on regularly outside of the film that i don't like (laughs) um which is like almost best outcome for me it's like if i don't like a movie but it gives me some great songs to add to a playlist then that's that's fine i'll take that worst thing Um, is i come out with absolutely nothing (laughs) fortunately i gotta get going in a moment here um but what else uh window and wild had had some of the best neil drops of the year yeah, my favorite thing, Wendell and Wilde's a great one. My favorite thing about Wendell and Wilde is that it needle drops cult of personality, which is a thing I think I think most movies should be doing, and not enough are. Uh, my only complaint is it doesn't let enough of the song play. Um, okay. I wish it did more, but <laughs> great needle drop in Wendell and Wilde. Yeah, TV on the radio placement, everyone's pretty crazy about that. Uh, a lot of the music documentaries of the year, um, Meet Me in the Bathroom, about like the uh, kind of cocaine using uh early 2000s post 9-11 new york bands uh, like uh, uh the strokes yeah 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 As of course yeah. that's all going to be you know phenomenal stuff um likewise it's just uh you know all the music docs are always going to be sensational it's yeah just, of uh, course great place to look always um, going to be the thing about them yeah i will say bones and all also has a really good soundtrack it has both a great soundtrack and a great score um, some great needle drops throughout, which you absolutely have to have for a good road movie. Um, and speaking of road movies, another movie with a bunch of great songs is Hit the Road. Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, like one that I kind of keep forgetting because it's been so long since I watched it. But yeah, there's there's really great music in that. Um, and that one's interesting. I keep flubbing my words this episode. Um, that one's interesting because it's like so much more culturally specific, but there's those needle drops are still just as great. I don't feel like there's any incongruity there at all. Well, I feel like we covered pretty well. I think we went a little longer than we intended. <laughs> Still, we're we're getting these episodes a little bit shorter. We'll keep we'll keep shortening yeah. them um, until we get to a, <laughs> a very easily digestible place. But it's just a little bit over an hour here, so I think that's a good a good spot to be in. For this week, um, unfortunately, I'll probably have to run help my wife. It's holiday; she she needs a little extra help, so no worries at all yeah so it's uh good to talk through these categories with you and we'll be back next week to talk about um best films not in the english language best animated features and best documentary features so some specific (laughs) different kind of different takes on things and we'll have some fun talking about that stuff i think it'll be an amazing show thanks i think so too yeah thank you